Professional wrestling, like real life, is full of surprises. Hi everyone, it's Freddie Prinze Jr. And it's no surprise I can talk wrestling all day, any day. Kind of like how State Farm agents can talk insurance and help you choose the right coverage. When it comes to important insurance decisions, let State Farm support you with the coverage you need backed with 24-7 support. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Locatora Radio is a radiophonic novella, which is just a very extra way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. I'm Dios FM. And I am Mala Muñoz. Locatora Radio is your prima's favorite podcast hosted by us, Mala and Diosa. We're two IG friends turned podcast partners, breaking down pop culture, feminism, sexual wellness, and offering fresh takes on trending topics through nuanced interviews with up-and-coming Latinx creatives. Known as Las Locatoras, Las Mamis of Myth and Bullshit, and Las Porcasteras Peligrosas, we were podcasting independently since 2016, but joined iHeartMedia's My Cultura Network in 2022. This year, we're continuing to share stories from the Latinx community pa todo el mundo. Welcome to Season 8. Are you listening? Hola, hola, locamores. Welcome to Season 8 of Locatora Radio. I'm Diosa. And I am Mala. You're tuning into Capitulo 165-165. Over the years, we've created different segments and in-show series to diversify and switch up the type of episodes we produce. Like Latinas in politics, loca epistemologies, femme defense, goddess worship, weird things white women did, and so on and so on. To add to our list of illustrious segments, we're bringing you a brand new series for season eight called Me, My Mental Health, and I. For the next few weeks, you'll hear from licensed therapists, artists, and creators about mental health and the rise of social media usage. In this episode, we're talking about something just a little bit taboo. To some, at least, we're talking about death and grieving online. In U.S. Western culture, death is something we avoid talking about. But for many Latinos, Latinx folks, death is talked about pretty openly. But what about grief and the grieving process? I think that there is a short window that we're allowed to grieve. Like, you have your allotted time for bereavement, and then capitalism, like, makes you go back to work, and you have to return to some type of, quote, normal. Other ways that we're sort of allowed to grieve publicly is wearing all black, maybe going to a misa that's dedicated to your deceased, praying the rosary, 
visiting the gravesite as a family and eating with your with your loved ones who have passed? Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways that Latinos grieve and kind of have anniversaries of deaths as well, which I have always found really interesting. Um, it's not just like this one funeral service. It's like every year after that, there's some type of commemorating that happens, whether that be going to the gravesite, like you said. my On my dad's side, my Peruvian side, we always do, or for many years, we would do like an anniversary misa. And so it would be just like a misa at one of the local parishes that would honor like our loved one. And so I think that it's really interesting that for us as Latinos, Latinx folks, we find ways to kind of come together and remember someone. Obviously, that we have holidays like Dia de los Muertos as well. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like we process grief differently, like not to overgeneralize, but I do feel like there's somewhat of an openness to talk about death at least. And in that spirit, we're inviting a longtime pod friend, Adriana Alejandre, onto the episode today to talk about her own personal and public grieving process. Adriana is a licensed therapist and creator of Latinx Therapy, a directory and bilingual podcast that destigmatizes mental health myths. We talk to Adriana not only about her work as a licensed therapist, but her experience coping with the loss of her mother. So tune in, listen, and we hope that you get a lot out of this conversation. Okay, so today we are joined by the incredible Adriana Alejandre. Welcome to Locatora Radio. Oh my goodness, thank you so much. I'm very honored and excited to be here with you. The honor is ours. Truly, we've been following your work online for many years now. We've chatted previously about mental health, the internet, and the Latino community. And today we're really excited to be sitting down with you in person to follow up on that conversation and talk a little bit more personally about not only you as a mental health professional and content creator, but just as as a mujer, also, you know, moving through life and dealing with your own obstacles and coping in your own way with the things that you experience. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, I'm excited to have this very vulnerable and authentic conversation. Just to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about you and who you are? Absolutely. So I am 33 years old as of recently, and I have a 13-year-old now. Um, Soy Mexicana y Guatemalteca, very proud of both of those roots. And I am a daughter of immigrants. I'm a sister, and I'm a therapist in the state of California, a mental health therapist specifically. But I also have had my podcast and am right now currently doing a lot of different projects such as focusing on consultations and amplifying many of uh, Latinx therapist voices across the nation. And you, for many years now, have been running a project called Latinx Therapy. That's right. It's a a multi-platform platform. platform. It includes a podcast and it includes a directory. Can you tell us when you sat down and conceptualized Latinx Therapy, what was what was the thought process and how did it come to be? It came to be very organic, but out of a lot of frustrated emotions because at the time it was 2017 and I had just gotten licensed. And in 2017, you both know that podcasts were 
up and rising, but not quite yet. And then mental health content on social media was very minimal at the time. And so my practice was thriving and I felt very guilty that there weren't that many that I could find at the time, resources for the community seeking Latina therapist, Latino therapist. And I had a very long wait list. And I had people coming from Bakersfield, people considering coming to my office from San Diego. And I just didn't find that to be fair. And I was like, no, like, I remembered my father's words, he would always tell me, if something and, and I'll say it in English, if something isn't created, you can do it. Tu puedes. Aslo. And so I was like, okay, let me just study podcasting. And then from there, my audience sent me emails and they were like, I never knew that I could choose a therapist. Thank you so much. And so I was providing people manually referrals, people in Illinois, people in New York. And I, I barely had roots here in California, Los Angeles. And I found that I was burning out. So that's where I decided I need to look into creating a website, a directory. I love that so much, that origin story. It's one of my favorites. And you mentioned in 2017 that mental health content, mental health social media accounts weren't working or didn't exist the way they do today. So can you talk more about perhaps a rise in, in social media, mental health content specifically? Do you feel like there's more... Like, do you think it's all legitimate? Like, where do you think, like, the landscape in mental health content stands today? Since 2018, which is when I officially launched Latinx Therapy, I do believe that Latinx Therapy um, social media platforms were some of the, the, or was one of the most inspiring content for a lot of therapists because when we're trained right out of graduate school, they teach us you cannot share about yourself. You are going to get sued, you know, if you do this, if you do that. And so they put us in this little box where we really can't or feel like we can't talk outside of a room. And so to enter into this digital space is very scary for a lot of therapists. And so I think that in seeing the way that I would do it, many other therapists, you know, decided to launch their page, their social media platform as a as a vlog or blog or, you know, just some form to educate the community. There has been a rise in those years. I would see many more therapists and now I see kind of therapists, coaches, advocates, and just anybody now talking about mental health in general. And in regards to what is credible and what is not credible, I think that's definitely a trickier question. However, I think everybody has to look at the source of where the information is coming from and and kind of hone in on your own critical thinking skills when you are digesting information because it's so easy now nowadays to scroll and hear something and believe it. So that is where you have to rely on yourself to see, hey, who is the founder of this account? Um, this information that they're giving us, what is you know, where are the, the sources? Let me go ahead and do some research to see if it is applicable to me or to see what are the, the consequences of doing this for myself. So instead of just kind of taking guidance and techniques off of the Internet, we really have to 
uh, pay attention to our own history and really reflect on how that can impact us positively and negatively. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I often get asked why I'm such a big fan of wrestling. And it's all thanks to my grandma. Growing up, we would watch matches together. And that bond turned me into a lifelong fan. Hi. I'm Freddie Prince Jr., and on my podcast, Wrestling with Freddie, we know how important it is to have the right teammate, because things can get pretty tricky quick. So, when things get complicated and you need help, State Farm gives you options. They show you what's possible for ensuring what matters to you. One of the things that matters to me? Sharing memories and revisiting wrestling's greatest moments. And with State Farm's support of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, I get to do just that. Like a good neighbor, Stay Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. And as a content creator and therapist, how do you decide what type of content you're going to share on your platforms? You film something, you review it, you edit it. What are your markers for whether or not that content is something that you want to put out for the world? It changes per season, if you will, or annually, because I'm a human behind this screen, right, going through different things in my own personal and professional life. And so one thing is that I don't share things that I haven't healed from just yet. And if in this case, you know, recently this last year, I did go through something that I hadn't healed from, but I felt like I needed community. I needed to be transparent about this, that I wasn't healed just yet. And in that case, I was transparent that I wasn't well. And I made I I shared that in a form of storytelling versus it being more educational. So I didn't tap into my therapist side. I was tapping in as a human, as a daughter, this is what I'm going through. And I made it into a visual storytelling style. Yeah, you, you know, speaking of that, you've been really open and transparent about your grieving journey. And so I wanted to ask you more about that. And what has that experience been like for you to be so open and vulnerable? Clearly, there was that moment you decided, I'm approaching this as a daughter, as a human, not necessarily as a therapist, and really leaning on storytelling. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I think it was unexpected because, you know, prior to me launching or or rather sharing about my grief journey, 
I had been experiencing really intense things with my mom who was sick, but I've shared before, she's a, she was a Guatemalan fierce angry little lady like she was always um you know fighting with someone the neighbors us like there was always someone in the doghouse and many times that was me Uh, i lived as her neighbor for so long and you know i think that i hadn't been posting for such a long time not even educational content or storytelling content and so when she suddenly passed away unexpectedly Um, We went into prayer mode and family mode for a very long time. And I felt at the end of that, I was like, I really am craving for community, which is how I felt in 2018 when I launched Latinx Therapy. I launched it, honestly, again, because it was that sense of frustration I felt. I felt like community would, would help fill a void. And so when she passed last September, that that was what I was missing. I was missing the community that I had created online. And I wanted them to witness what I was going through because I knew in my core and from my role as a therapist that I'm not alone, that there's so many others that are experiencing this pain. And I'm glad I did because I did get messages from people saying like, this is true content that I wish more people saw because a lot of it was dark you know, and in the sense that in in a very literal sense, like where I admitted to not being able to see color when I would go outside, there were many days and you can actually see that many of my videos don't have light because I was staying in the dark for a while. And I didn't even realize that until I came out of that fog. I remember in the past you would share content about your mother and struggles with your mother. Mm-hmm. Um, how... How have you been able to transition from that place of coping with your your dynamic with your mother while she was here and now coping with her being gone? Yeah, I'll take a little breath mm-hmm. because these are things that I haven't shared with anyone outside of my family or my therapy spaces. But to be truly honest with that question, I said everything I needed to say on her deathbed when she was passing away. I, everything, you know, all all the sorries that I wanted to say, all the thank yous that I wanted to say, I said it as she was still on the ventilator in the ICU. Uh, and so I'm very much at peace knowing that, knowing that I, I just don't have any any regrets I did absolutely everything as a daughter, as a person for her. And I'm, I'm really, that's all I could say. Like, I'm really at peace with that. And there's also another side of my brain that intellectualizes things, right? And that's that uh, I know that she experienced so many traumas. So for the last couple years of her life, I knew psychologically why she would behave in the way that she would. Now, would it still frustrate me? Of course. Would I get annoyed and want to vent to my community? Yeah, and I did. But I I didn't hold that against her. I was still scared of her, but I didn't hold that against her as a grudge, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also remember when you would tell stories about your mother and the, the relationship and how it changes over the years. And that was one of my favorite things that you shared um, because I feel like 
a lot of us have complicated relationships with our moms. Not everyone has this like picture perfect like Latino family movie relationship. You know, I think Mal and I are both fortunate that we've shared a lot of positive experiences with our mothers on this podcast specifically, but we also recognize like that's not the case for lots of people. And so that was one of my favorite things that you shared because I think it's so important to the experience of people in our community, right? That it's not like a Latino family movie. Um, And so for me witnessing you share this other side of that relationship, I very much see it as like this radical vulnerability that you're engaging with, with all of us. And so like, how do you feel now, like moving forward as you're, you're doing a lot of speaking engagements, you're, you have a nonprofit, like you're doing a lot, like how are you taking care of yourself while also showing up so vulnerably? You're right that I carry a lot of different roles and I'm vulnerable in all the roles that I carry but I have taken too many roles. (laughs) And I recognize that, that that's something that um, is one of my, if you will, flaws, you know, where I I do try to do a lot to fill certain emotional voids. Um, And so recently, somewhat recently, this has been ongoing, I took inventory and decided that with my therapist that Providing individual therapy, doing long-term trauma work is something that I have to pause because it's not something emotionally that I can manage at the time. And I've actually been very authentic about this with my clients, which going back is something graduate school at that time when I was trained would frown upon. But I think it's something so important for my clients to know that I, I just can't provide the quality that I wish to, that I have been able to. And they know why. And they know it's not personal. Uh, We've talked about it. And so I'll return when I'm ready. But at the moment, because I'm still processing the grief and the abuse and things that, you know, I I need to continue processing, um, I I just won't be able to provide individual therapy. But I'm going to see how I can balance the other roles and so far, because I have graduated clients and closed them out, it has given me capacity to take care of myself in the sense of resting more, of learning how to cook more, of returning to my role as a mom, because after she passed, that was another thing. I stopped pay, paying attention to my son. And as a, what, I don't even know, he was entering seventh grade. And so his grades suffered, his behavior suffered. And I'm grateful that my my partner, my husband, took over the parental role 100%, but he needed me and I wasn't there. I was very absent. And so I'm back, but I'm focusing more so on family and myself. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I often get asked why I'm such a big fan of wrestling. And it's all thanks to my grandma. Growing up, we would watch matches together, and that bond turned me into a lifelong fan. Hi, I'm Freddie Prince Jr., and on my podcast, Wrestling with Freddie, we know how important it is to have the right teammate, 
because things can get pretty tricky quick. So, when things get complicated and you need help, State Farm gives you options. They show you what's possible for ensuring what matters to you. One of the things that matters to me? Sharing memories and revisiting wrestling's greatest moments. And with State Farm's support of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, I get to do just that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Right now. It's wonderful to hear that you're able to take that step back and you can make that choice, especially the direct service work. I'm sure you walk out of each session and you carry all of those stories with you. They don't just evaporate when you leave the the therapy room. I'm really curious, you know, from 2017 to now, we've lived through the Trump years, the pandemic. We're in this post-pandemic space, kind of, sort of. And I'm sure that not only yourself, but your clients, you've seen a lot of different people suffer different sorts of losses. And I'm wondering what you've noticed, not only from your personal experience, but with your clients, how do Latinos tend to cope with loss and how do Latinos tend to grieve? That's a beautiful question. And there's definitely differences in various households. And I think it also depends on, from what I've noticed as a therapist, it depends on people's trauma histories and how much of their traumas that they've processed. Because when an incident, whether it's grief or trauma or anxiety or anything connected to mental health happens in our life, we tend to uh, get re-triggered from things maybe that we have stuffed away and kept away and have been able to function without them, but they'll come out when these new incidents happen. And so... I think in general, the way that Latinos tend to cope with grief, I find it to be very beautiful. Um, and from what I've experienced and as a therapist and a person, um, I haven't really noticed other cultures, so I can't speak to comparison. But what I would say is that religiously, through this through losing my mother, I learned of the novenario, which is the, I believe it's nine days of prayer. Mm -hmm. Personally, we did 18 days because we couldn't get a priest to the hospital to bless her soul on the way out. And so they doubled it for us, which is fine. It was it was very intense, kind of like a 18 day meditation, right? But I learned that that's a form of community where people come together and pray focusing all of their energy on that person and then come in community afterwards to to break bread and be together. Um, so that's one element of it. The way that we grieve is also by allowing llantos, crying. Um, I'm not sure how to say llantos in English. Like sobs, like audible crying. Wails? Wails, something. wailing, yeah. Okay. 
allowing wailing to to happen and not being judged by other by your family members. Um, and and again, this can vary from household to household and how safe we are to allow our emotions out. So I don't want to overgeneralize, but those two are definitely some of the the biggest things that I've noticed. And overall, community family community, friend community, people just come together when there is a loss. It is typically temporarily just at the start, you know, maybe the first few days, the first couple weeks. And then uh, I hear a lot of clients say, well, no one, you know, that all stopped. No one has checked in on me. Um, Everybody expects me to go back to normal and I can't and I'm having difficulties And so, again, everybody has their own journey with that. But within the Latino community, I've definitely noticed so much community and food. Mm -hmm. Lots of food. Absolutely. I think uh, if you've you've ever gone to a cemetery in a city where there's a lot of Latinos, you've Mm -hmm. probably also seen, like, families getting together Mm -hmm. around the grave site. Um, I know my family in Bakersfield has been doing that, like, weekly um, with a relative who passed a year ago. And showing up in person with a food truck, with yep. with with music, with their favorite drink, what have you. Mm-hmm. I, I am curious, too, about the fact that you have been posting grief content about your grieving process pretty publicly now. And I'm wondering how that in and of itself, the posting and the sharing of your grieving process online, how that has has helped you if it has helped you. It has helped me. It has helped me in the sense that people are able to share their stories with me because I, I've i had two other losses that I could think of, but nothing has ever felt this painful for this long. Like, I remember that the first, I cried straight for two months, and so my face changed. It was poofy. And I didn't recognize myself when I did actually start seeing colors. And I was just like, whoa, like just seeing myself in the mirror. And so me posting was a way to communicate to other people the pain and also my confusion. And people through the comments were able to share from their perspective what they went through and what I could possibly expect. And I really appreciated that because... I, there were some things I didn't know about and that I learned through other people's personal experiences. This isn't something that can that can be taught through textbook. What are some of the things, if you're comfortable sharing, that people shared with you that maybe you didn't expect to hear or to learn about? One of the things is someone told me, all the first will hurt. And when I first read that, I didn't understand it. But then as I was going through... Um, the first Christmas and not having the ponche that my mom made annually, the the first birthday, the first New Year, like any little thing, even though we didn't spend time together during um, New Year's perhaps or um, her her birthday per her wishes, it still hurt. And so realizing that after every single first, especially in, in this first year, has been so helpful so that I emotionally prepare for these moments. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I wanted to go back to something you said about like your either your clients or people in the comments saying like everyone's there until like maybe the services are over. 
And then it's like no one's checking in anymore. So I wanted, I feel like because we don't, in, at least in Western culture, in the U.S. specifically, we don't talk about death. We don't talk about grieving as openly as like Latinos do. And so I feel like a lot of the times if someone we know has lost someone, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We are too afraid to say the wrong thing. And so then we don't say anything. And that can be worse. So I'm curious for you um, if there's ways that you feel like we can better support our loved ones that are experiencing loss. You know, I think that it's sometimes silence can be helpful because sometimes when people actually use words and if they're the wrong words, Mm -hmm. like painful words, they just hurt so much more. And so in these moments, I actually think that silence is very powerful and shows a lot of patience and compassion. Mm. And um, other ways would be to straight out ask your loved one, how can I support you? What can I do? And sometimes they may not have an answer, but to continue checking in and asking the same question because one day they will have an answer. And hey, sometimes some people may be maybe don't ask for another week, you know, and to always remember to not take things personally because that person is likely in a fog, is likely processing something potentially traumatic connected to the loss. We just don't know where they're at, right? And I do find that in a lot of Latino households, people tend to take someone else's grief personally. Oh, they don't want to spend time with me. They don't want to come out of their room. They don't want to eat my food, you know, and they make it more so about them when it really isn't. There is a loss of appetite that happens when you lose somebody. Everything changes, you know, everything in regards to how you feel about others, your perception about the world and yourself changes and you're trying to figure yourself out um, while adjusting to this new world, new life without this person in it. And so I I think that people need to remember that that piece to not make it about themselves and to just ask openly, how can I support you? Um, and offer, you know, I think groceries. If you know the person's kind of quote unquote weakest um, or poorest uh, traits in their life, like for me, it's cleaning and grocery shopping. My friends helped me in those areas, and I appreciated it because they're things that stress the heck out of me um, because I don't like doing them, but I know we have to. And so them coming over um, was very helpful. And I remember, actually, because I had just moved into my new house, one of my neighbors told me to clean my backyard. I was actually cleaning in the back, and she's like, come, come. And there's a language barrier. I think she was Russian or is Russian or Armenian. And so I'm, like, wiping my tears walking over, and she's like, clean, clean, birds, come, clean, clean. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I got the hint. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, and I knew everything was falling apart back there. Like, I knew the previous owners had taken care of it, and I just couldn't because of everything going on. So I told a friend who loves gardening, and she came with all her clippers and baskets, and she was just chopping up my fruits, and it, it was wonderful. You know, she allowed herself to enjoy that moment and allowed me to just sit and participate if I wanted to or not if I didn't want to. Do you do do you think there's a phenomenon almost of want wanting to not be like a burden to other people and like being okay for others, right? Like I think there's something there with 
like you're saying, sometimes family or community want you to feel better already, you know, and just feel better because then everybody else feels better. And I guess how do we how do we not do that to others, you know, to folks who are grieving? It's such a long process. It can be, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really sure how to ask this to ask the question, but t- taking care of yourself first, you know, before being OK so that other people are comfortable. That's complicated because it's even embedded within our society, right? When, when we look at the bereavement time, I think it did change this year. So forgive me if it's not accurate, but I believe it's five days now. It was three days prior. Wow. Two yeah. or three days, something like that, at least here in L.A. County. I'm not sure nationwide what it is. I would assume it probably changes, right? And so people are expected to return back to fully functioning occupational mode after these days. And that's complicated because there's some people that just, any reminder, they'll cry on the spot, right? Any reminder, they'll just shut down. We don't know how they respond to to stressors, but I think it's it's just so complicated for us. One thing that I will say for that answer for sure is that people... Um, you know, we need to take care of our own selves. And if we have difficulty asking for help, this is the time to to ask others for help and to lean on our community. And I know that we may feel like we're a burden for other people because we live in a culture where that is the case, where expression isn't allowed. What's more allowed is drinking and and substances, you know, to cope and self-medicate, right, rather than talking about it. And so I think that if we at least try to write it out to someone on a note through text or create a code word, which is actually something I've worked with my clients where, you know, when one person says potato or unicorn, I'm just throwing out random things here. But when one person uses that code word between them, that's when they know I need to be a little bit closer. This person, my loved one needs more of that support. But there's some people that still feel icky, right, when talking about their emotions. And that's normal and valid. So let's find creative ways as to how we can get that support. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today. Is there anything else you want to share about your experience or just in general what you're up to? Like the time is yours. You know, going back to your question right now, Mala, I definitely felt that sense of burden with all of my grief content that I've mm. been posting. And especially because there were, there were the 1%. And it's always, why is it the 1% that we pay attention to versus like the 99% right. positive, right? The one bad comment, the one <laughs> yeah. nasty It's DM. so hard not to harp on that. <laughs> stick to us. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they're like, uh, you're strong. You'll get through it. Mm. You'll be fine. You know, things. And, and it was consistent throughout different videos. And so that for me was like, okay, am I now being too griefy and burdening other people now with my emotions? Am I creating Latinx therapy into this grief portal now? Mm. And it made me wonder about my content and my branding and things like that. And I mean, I to be honest, I did switch a little bit. I, it is still vulnerable, but in different ways. It is reflective of what I am experiencing, but I think these are things that we we go through naturally, right, where other people influence our emotions. 
Yeah, and you know, I wanted to say this at the top of our conversation that I even hate to use the word content for mm-hmm. the experience that you're documenting and you're choosing to share it with your social media following your digital community, but it's like, it's so much more than content, right? It's your life, it's your experience, and it's what you're going through. But I I also wonder if, do you feel like, because you you talked about in some ways, like creating this little like grief portal, you were questioning like if that's what you were doing, is there a part of you that feels like you have to continue publicly posting about your grief? Or do you feel like when I'm ready, I can close the chapter on this area of like social media content. That's exactly how I feel. When I'm ready, I can close it. I I definitely feel ownership over Latinx therapy. And I do listen to the community. I trust that I have a good balance between what I share and how I amplify other people's voices. So I, I hold myself accountable for all of that, and I'm comfortable. I actually did that with my YouTube, where I, was, I had a series honoring my mom, and I had about four other interviews with other therapists, but I felt this is where we stop, and I'm going to have to focus on other topics with these other four clinicians. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, knowing when to stop and knowing when, like, okay, this has served its <laughs> purpose for me now, and I can move on to something else. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Really important. I think uh, as content creators, as people (laughs) who share publicly (laughs) on the internet, it's this balance between what the audience wants to see and what we want to share. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think that's great that you have that ownership, especially over something so personal. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with this. But I think, again, if we have that awareness and we're tuning in, we can find the right balance. So where can our listeners follow up with you and follow not only the the grief content that you've been sharing, but past content, future content? And how can they be supportive of your platform and all of your projects? Well, we all know the algorithm has been funky <laughs> for a while. So definitely leaving a comment, interacting with the content on our social media platforms would be very helpful. And our platforms are Latinx Therapy everywhere really tiktok twitter facebook instagram everywhere our website is latinextherapy.com in spanish terapiaparalatinos.com and if anybody is needing a therapist they can go on that site to to find one and we also have other bilingual resources there including our podcast thank you to adriana alejandra for sharing her journey with us for sharing time space vulnerability with us definitely check out her platform latinx therapy if you're not familiar with it and let us know what you think of this episode you can always leave us a comment share visit our website locatoraradio.com and leave us a speak pipe voice memo if you related to this episode if you were moved by adriana's story or if you have your own story that you want to share you can always Leave a review also on Apple Podcast, or like I said, send us a voice memo and we just might play it on a future episode of Locatora Radio. Don't forget to share this episode with your prima, your friend, your mom, everybody, and subscribe to our newsletter at locatoraradio.com. And we will catch you next time. Besitos. Besitos. Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, is executive produced and hosted by me, Mala Munoz, and Diosa Fem. Story editing by me, Diosa. Audio editing by Stephanie Franco. Thank you to our locamores, our listeners, for all of your support. 
Besitos. Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novela. Hosted by Mala Muñoz and Diosa Femme. chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen and with resi priority notify and global dining access through my amex platinum card right this way it's nice to try someone else's food for a change that's the powerful backing of american express terms apply learn more at americanexpress.com slash with amex bring a little optimism into your life with the bright side a new kind of daily podcast from hello sunshine hosted by me danielle robay and me simone voice Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.